All right, welcome to another podcast edition of White Collar Crimes. I am your host, Ryan Horn. It is great to have you back. Hope you enjoyed your week off. You know, we've talked about the opioid and other drug problems on this show and corruption in the medical industry, and sometimes these two intertwine, and that is certainly the case. On this episode, some of you might remember this, just been about 14 years ago when this incident happened, but we've seen countless incidents like this in similar fashion, but uh, some of you might remember the case of Dr. Conrad Murray. You might think, yeah, that name kind of sounds familiar, so who are you talking about here? Well, this was Michael Jackson's personal doctor that uh, delivered what would ultimately be a lethal dose to him of medication, which we'll get into that just in a little bit. Very much to him, I think, similar to what Elvis had with Dr. Nick, as he was known, Elvis's personal doctor. Although, as you'll see, uh, Dr. Nick's gave Elvis much more of an overdose in different types of medicines than I think what Murray did, but we'll see. There are similarities as well as differences, and certainly these two aren't the only two in the entertainment industry to suffer and ultimately die from prescription medications primarily. Now, Conrad Murray, he was born in poverty and grew up mainly in Trinidad and Tobago. Now, in 1973, he moved to Houston, Texas. This is where he would eventually go on to complete cardiology, a cardiology fellowship at the University of Arizona. And at this time, he also would work for the Sharp Memorial Hospital in San Diego, where he ultimately became the associate director of their cardiology fellowship training program. So he was a cardiologist, and I've certainly spent time in hospitals and doctor's offices and whatnot dealing with them, not for me personally yet, but uh, I do have a great deal of heart disease and things like that that do run in my family. I know my grandmother and some of my uncles and whatnot have spent a great deal of time dealing with them. By the grace of God, I haven't had to yet, but it's certainly something that does run in my family and have to keep an eye on. So I know the value and importance of what they do. Cardiologists are definitely very important, as are all medical people. But he would do well in this program, in this area. And by 1990, he was doing so well, he decided to branch out and start his own practice in Las Vegas, which... A lot of things happening in Las Vegas these days. As we just saw, they uh, won the Stanley Cup, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, and then rumor that they are going to be getting the Oakland A's after this season, which A's have had a disastrous season, and my understanding, organization in the city itself has been in decline for quite some time. So it certainly kind of looks like that may be a possibility what could be happening. Now, As I said, he branches out. He starts his own practice after a while of working in various programs, particularly as we saw in San Diego. And at this time, though, when he does start, uh, a lot of this will change. Like I said, he starts his private practice in Vegas. Things go really well for quite a while, but this is where things really change in his life. In 2006, when he crossed paths uh, with Michael Jackson's daughter, this is at the time where he founded the Acres Homes Heart and Vascular Institute in Houston. So at this time, 
when he crosses paths with Michael Jackson's daughter Paris, this is when things really change. And Paris, I understand now, is in the entertainment industry as well, working as an actress. Uh, but at this time, she was treated by Dr. Murray. Now, this chance encounter would lead him to eventually, and nobody really knows how and how quickly he climbed up the ladder and what it was with this connection that got him to rise to being Michael Jackson's go-to guy and personal physician. But eventually that does happen. And even then, you know, we're talking 2006 when he meets his daughter and then up to 2009 when he unfortunately dies, as we'll see in a little bit. But for those that are my age, you're Gen X and younger, particularly those of you that are about 50 years and a little bit younger, or maybe 55 and younger, so what, you know, somewhat in that age range. You know how huge Michael Jackson was back in the day. Thriller, you did not get bigger than that album was at the time. I remember that video and how groundbreaking it was at the time. And, you know, throughout the 80s, Michael Jackson, just as they labeled him the king of pop, that's just where he's at. Huge performer. Now, in the 90s, he kind of started to skew off and his behavior became really bizarre, as well as some of the things he did, bleaching his skin, some of the outrageous costumes and things he wore, and just some of the other really bizarre behaviors. But in the 80s, you, you didn't get bigger than Michael Jackson at that time. He was just gigantic. He was huge. So him becoming the personal physician for somebody like Michael Jackson, that's no small accomplishment. Now, again, it's not really known, or at least I haven't seen out there, how he was able to get to be Michael Jackson's go-to guy in just a few short years, but that is exactly what happened. Now, like I said, this chance encounter led to him being Michael Jackson's personal physician for his 2009 tour. So Michael Jackson is still touring at 2009. He is age 50 here, but he's still Michael Jackson. He's still a huge star. And when you reach a level like he did and, and Elvis Presley and some of these other ones, you know, you've seen the pictures of Elvis and videos of the last couple few years of his life, very bloated and almost disfigured at times, but that talent was still there and he was still able to rock it out. And when you have a big a fan base as he had, and, and you know, Michael Jackson certainly had his share of fans too, it's, they are still going to get out and support you, I think, even in your older age. Like at this point, Michael Jackson's 50 years old, but he's still touring and still, still got fans out there that love him and support him. And Elvis was the same way right till the end. But as we can imagine, it does take a lot out of you touring, especially worldwide tours and even national tours. Being away from home, any of you that have done that, you certainly know how difficult that can be and, and what all entails with that. So we know that's not easy to do physically or emotionally. And that's when a lot of them unfortunately turn to drugs and not always illegal drugs. A huge chunk of these, as we've seen, have the Betty Ford Clinic is lined full of performers that have fallen victim to a lot of legal prescription drugs. And that's something you have to keep in mind. Just because a drug is legal does not mean it's safe and harmless. Uh, you know, alcohol is legal. After prohibition's failures, it was brought back and legalized again. But you, you just, as you've seen, You'd have to be blind to think alcohol does not cause enormous amounts of problems in society, health-wise, DUI accidents, many of which cause death and injury, and domestic situations, the overwhelming majority of them involve drugs and alcohol, so 
just because it is legal does not mean it is harmless. And that's certainly the case with a lot of these drugs that these performers like Michael Jackson and Elvis and a lot of these other ones end up on. As I said, he would get this gig to be Michael Jackson's personal physician for Michael's 2009 tour. Now, this gig supposedly paid a $150,000 a month. So 14 years ago, I mean, that's good money now, but uh, that's fantastic money 14 years ago. It's before inflation and everything started killing us the last few years. But that is really good money, and that's something at the time that was a gig I'm sure best he had had and was probably too hard to or not too hard to accept be kind of hard to turn down a gig in an offer like that so he gets that offer $150,000 a month so this is well over a million dollars to be Michael Jackson's personal physician on this tour but it would be a short-lived gig would not be for long because literally in a matter of weeks Michael Jackson died of a lethal dose of of propofol, pardon me, propofol, a drug described to treat Jackson's insomnia. Now, the problem that we'll see, propofol, was not necessarily always just used to treat insomnia, but that's what he was given a lethal dose of. Apparently, Michael Jackson was having difficulty sleeping. That was also something that Elvis suffered from. He had some difficulty and uh, was on different types of medications, some to wake him up, some to help him fall asleep things of that sort, so that's what he suffered from as well. But in August 2009, the coroner's report confirmed the overdose. However, initially it was treated as a homicide. So not right away is it seen as just a simple overdose. It is believed that Dr. Murray gave him a lethal dose of propofol. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. So he was reported to have injected Jackson with at least 25 milligrams of this on the night Jackson died. Again, this is to help with insomnia. And a lot of people do have trouble sleeping. That's something that Jackson certainly didn't suffer with alone. But I think as we've seen over time of all the medications and things that people are using to treat insomnia, the side effects and things like that can be even more harmful. And make no mistake about it, doing without sleep is detrimental to your health. If you're out there and you're suffering from it, talk to your doctor. Get some type of help because that can be a detrimental thing to your health, not getting enough sleep. And that's just the era we live in, unfortunately, with the technology and electricity and internet age and everything we live in. People aren't sleeping like they once were. In the days of our ancestors, like my wife and I just got back from touring the Daniel Boone home just outside of St. Louis. And... This is a time when it got dark. I guess back then you probably went to bed. There wasn't a whole lot to stay up for after a while. But we live in a time now with internet and television and tons of other devices to hold our entertainment. A lot of people just aren't sleeping like they once were. And as I said, that can have some health effects. And this dose that Michael Jackson got to supposedly help him with sleeping ended up being lethal. And as I said, Jackson was only 50 himself. So Murray would claim that he was worried about Jackson's dependence on this drug and he was trying to, quote, wean him off of it. But he was criticized by the FDA and others in the medical community, noting, as I said a second ago, that this drug, the propofol, is not used necessarily just for insomnia. In fact, its primary use is that of an uh, anesthesia, not a sleep inducer. 
So in 2011, he was eventually charged with manslaughter. It took two years almost for this to come about. And no, manslaughter is not the same as a first-degree homicide. This is not killing with intent. This is not saying that he purposely intended to kill Michael Jackson by injecting this in him and, and that he had malicious intent or anything like that. Manslaughter is killing somebody, but you did it without, per se, the intent. A DUI is a good example of that. If you get drunk and drive off home, you may not have intended to crash into that person and kill him, but you did. So even without the intent, your actions can still be held criminally liable. Most crimes do require an intent and an action in order to be valid, but this is one type of crime it does not. It's still a criminal act even if you don't have the intent there. Now the difference is obviously the punishment is far less severe than it would be had he intended to kill Michael Jackson. When you're getting into first degree murder, depending on the state you're in, could be life in prison or even the death penalty for states that still have that. But with manslaughter, most of the time you're just talking a few years because, again, you didn't intend to kill that person. There was no malicious intent behind what you did. There was no planning. There was no premeditation, anything like that. So that's what he's charged with. And that was probably a good move on the DA's office because I think far too many times I've seen, especially due to media and, and public pressure, prosecutors try to charge people with first-degree murder when they don't have the intent there. A good example was that George Zimmerman case with Trayvon Martin down in Florida. They should have never tried to charge Zimmerman with first-degree murder. That happened so fast, there was no way they were ever going to prove with him working as a night watchman there that he planned and premeditated and killed Trayvon Martin with malicious intent. Had they just sought a manslaughter charge, probably would have been tough to prove what I've seen with the elements of that case, but it certainly would have been much more reachable than a first-degree murder conviction was. So... They charge him with this in 2011. And he got the maximum sentence of four years in prison for this. Now, whether Jackson's celebrity status had anything to do with that, I don't know. Without, Because with Murray not having a criminal record to speak of that anyone knew, most of the time somebody for a first offense is not going to get a max sentence unless it is pretty lethal situation, which could be the case too because, you know, we do have a death involved here. But it was not... Uh, not with a, an intent or with a first-degree murder, but nonetheless, he was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to four years in prison. And his Texas medical license was revoked, and his California and Nevada licenses were suspended. So he was a licensed cardiologist in three states. Lands a dream gig here. Uh, you know, he gets acquainted with Michael Jackson's daughter, has some dealings with him for a few years, but lands the dream gig of being Michael Jackson's personal physician for his world tour in 2009. And like I said, literally within a matter of weeks, he injects him with a lethal dose of propofol, and that's the end of it for Michael Jackson. He dies at age 50 from something that was not supposed to be used as a sleep agent or a sleep inducer. But nonetheless, that's what it was used for in this case and did lead to Michael Jackson's untimely death at the age of 50. So he served about two years of this sentence, which is pretty common, again, for somebody in there that gets got good behavior and maybe their first-time offense like that. I imagine with his education and knowledge and things, he was probably able to maybe teach other inmates, teach GED classes, things like that maybe to earn a little bit of good time, and he was paroled in 2013. 
Michael Jackson's father, Joe, supposedly filed a wrongful death suit that was later withdrawn, which was kind of odd when we think about it, because if you know the story of the Jackson family, most of his life, he and his son Michael there had a pretty strained relationship with what was reported. Uh, His father worked a lot of shifts in the local steel mill, I think it was there, in Gary, Indiana. Large family. I believe his family were Jehovah Witnesses, Michael Jackson's were. Didn't believe in birth control, so they had a very large family, not a lot of money coming in. But once he saw that he was able to make money off his kids, the Jackson 5, as they were known at the time, I imagine he was quite on board. But it was no secret that most of the life, most of his life, his father Joe had a pretty strained relationship with Michael. But uh, he did briefly try to cash in on it, but would later withdraw this lawsuit. Now, it's been reported that Dr. Murray is still working as a quote-unquote consultant. And we've talked about that numerous times on here. A lot of times when they get convicted of a felony, they lose licensing in most professions. Certainly, you're going to have that happen in medical profession. profession. We've talked about tons of attorneys and lawyers that have lost and been disbarred and no longer able to legally practice law. We've talked about a lot of investors and Wall Street people that get barred by the SEC and they're no longer able to work as stockbrokers or anything in the financial industry that requires licensing and certification. They lose that, but there are no laws against working behind the scenes as a quote-unquote consultant. Now, what level a lot of these white-collar criminals we talk about on this podcast do that, it's hard to say, but a lot of them do this and whether or not they make money or if it's under the table, who knows. He has reported that he is just working as a consultant and he doesn't charge for his advice, which apparently is legal as long as he does not charge. Now, who knows? He could end up resurfacing overseas. We have seen this case, cases like this before where doctors lose their licensing in America, but then they go across the border to Mexico or South America, or maybe over in Africa, some third world countries that don't have very strict licensing, and they're glad to have American doctors there, and they're able to practice medicine overseas in some of these other countries. That certainly could be a possibility for him. I don't know, and I don't know if there's a possibility he ever could be reinstated in California or Nevada because his license there was just suspended as opposed to being totally revoked in Texas. So who knows if he'll resurface or how. Uh, A lot of them, like I said, in this, depending on the industry they're in, work behind the scenes as a quote-unquote consultant. Some of them make a lot of good money doing that. Uh, My understanding on his case, he cannot make money or it does suddenly become illegal with his licensing. Now, in the business world, it might be a little bit different. They are probably still able to make money from quote-unquote consulting. How he's Making money and surviving and living now, it's not really known or reported, but like I said, I don't know that there's any uh, law or anything against it in other countries where he couldn't resurface and maybe practice medicine there. But an unfortunate incident for him lands his dream job and then literally within weeks administers a lethal dose to Michael Jackson, which led to his untimely death again at age 50. So heartbreaking situation but these drugs are I see it all the time in my main job and we've seen it all the time over and over on this podcast we've even talked about and if you know a friend or family member that is suffering from some type of opioid or prescription drug or any kind of addiction like that there is a hotline you can call 
1-800-273-4357 or seek out help in your local communities. Uh, talk to a counselor, clergy, whatever you or your friend or family member that is suffering are a comfortable are comfortable talking with. Please do and reach out and seek help because these drugs are deadly, folks, and they claim a lot of lives. And I live in a part of the country, and I'm sure many of you listening to this do as well, that has really been hit hard by the current opioid crisis that we have in this country. These drugs are for real, and you know they can do some help in a lot of situations, but let's be honest here, they do a massive amount of death and destruction as well, and people are profiting off that, and unfortunately, as long as they are profiting, they will continue to crank these drugs out regardless of the deadly consequences. So again, if you have friends and family suffering, please reach out and get them help. Or if you need help, again, call that number. Once again, 1-800-662-4357. A difficult and heavy subject on this, so I thank you for tuning in on this. Please tune in next week, like our Facebook page. Give us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple, wherever you hear us. And we do like to hear from you. Email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com if you want to be on the show or you have an idea for the show. Always love having ideas. It's When we do a weekly podcast, it can get challenging at times to come up with new ideas, and we're certainly willing to hear those. If you need a voiceover service, check out my website at ryan-horn.com. Got some audiobooks coming out with Cherry Hills Publishing. Got some out now on Beacon Audiobooks. Another one coming out with Beacon Audiobooks soon, Sons of Liberty. So please check those out and check out your local pet shelter and adopt your next best friend. My wife and I, our five best friends here are all from shelters, and I urge you to do that the same. Or donate your time and money, however else you can help out. And watch out for those friends and families, especially the elderly, as we said, those are often the ones that are targeted for these white-collar scams. So please keep an eye out for them as well. And we thank you for keeping an ear out and tuning in for us. to us. We will see you all here next week. God bless and take care, everybody. <laughs>